Welcome to The Look Back, the newest podcast hosted by former journalist turned media executive and host Keith Newman. The Look Back provides insights, tips, and maybe a few laughs during a free-flowing conversation on that roller coaster ride that reflects the past, present, and future of the Silicon Valley and tech economy. We'd like to welcome Chris Yeh, the author of the best-selling book and go-to startup guide, Blitzscaling, who joins The Look Back for a discussion on basketball, blitzscaling, gourmet cooking, angel investing, and his new fund, among other topics. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to The Look Back. Well, it's so great to see you. Um, It's funny, too. We were chatting yesterday. How did the dinner turn out? Well, Keith, you joined on Clubhouse as I was hosting a room called Christier Cook Stuff, and I was, in fact, cooking a couple dishes. I was cooking a pasta dish using a TikTok viral recipe with cherry tomatoes and cheese and, and, and pasta, and that turned out pretty well. I modified the recipe. Instead of using feta, I used ricotta, and after my last experience, I used double the cherry tomatoes, and I also added Parmesan cheese, and that made it much more flavorful. It met with the approval of the family. Then I also cooked a dish for myself, which was tofu with shiitake mushrooms and Napa cabbage, and that also turned out well. Let me check. Am I talking to the author of Blitzscaling or the author of... Well, I have I am a multi-talented guy and okay. you know who knows maybe there'll be a cookbook in the future. I do a lot of gluten-free baking and other things like that and you know Can I maybe call people you Wolfgang? Can I call you Wolfgang for short? Absolutely. I did get a chance to meet Wolfgang Puck one time. Uh, it was probably just a, a year or two ago. I was like, oh, who is this guy?" And they're like, "Oh, it's Wolfgang Puck." I'm like, "Oh, well, hello Mr. Puck." There you go. So Wolfgang Puck more than like a Thomas Keller. Well, I like Thomas Keller as well, but I haven't met Thomas Keller. Okay, I've met them both. So there we go. That's a lot of name dropping, but we're just getting started here. Absolutely. There'll be many, many more names we'll drop before this is through. I had to drop off. Speaking of dropping, I had to drop off your your meeting yesterday because I was salivating and had to fill my own uh, stomach and get cooking on my own, but nothing quite at that level that, that, that you produced. Well, again, it just sounds good. Who knows whether people really enjoy it or not? I, I the family to, did finish it off. Though. I may have to do some research later and check, check out the quality results. Okay, so we go from cooking and food. Now we're going to transition to something way more important, okay? Basketball. One of the most important things. Basketball is life. See, Chris, you understand. Okay, so here's the scenario. You ready? You got it. You and I are selected to coach the nba all-star game i get the east i'm going to give you the west i mean you're a palo alto guy i've got to you know you you always claim your loyalty to the warriors as do i by the way so we're giving well, up our, our bias. let's be clear i i've attended the warriors games i'm a lakers fan okay. but i get to go to warriors games and you uh you you'll try to sneak down to the parade whenever they have it again for the lakers okay so chris here's the question you ready Yes. West Coast team, who's your first pick for the uh, NBA West? Well, given this season, assuming you're only allowing me to choose from Western Conference teams, I'll start with LeBron James, who has led the Lakers to a championship, who is one of the greatest players of all time, and amazingly enough, still playing great in his 18th season. No, you're... uh... 
You're absolutely right. That's a great choice. And there are a lot of LeBron haters out there, particularly up here. Uh, he's, he's been a challenge for us, although we beat him a couple of times too. But uh, he'll go down in history as uh, one of the greatest top five of all time. Absolutely. And again, it's pretty incredible. I think it's quite possible he'll end his career as the leading scorer of all time. And there's a chance he might even get to be the leading passing, uh, the leading assist man of all time. It's, it's remote, but it's possible. Okay. I'm taking, just for the record, I'm taking Steph Curry for the West if I were in your position. But uh, I only get the East Coast and I'm taking Giannis. He's just such an amazing, fun guy to watch. And I know there's some other strong candidates for MVP, a couple names popping out of the West, but uh, I like uh, I like what he's done. It's just been amazing. Well, Giannis is certainly a great choice. And I think that, you know, for an, another choice, I think it's Steph is an excellent choice. You know, you always need as much shooting as you can in this game, and there's nobody you can shoot like Steph. That's, that's right. It'll be him and uh, my friend Dame. All right, uh, let's turn to the topic. People are probably more interested in hearing from us on, I think, I'm not sure, but I think, um, and that's the topic of blitz scaling. Um, Chris, you know, I'm a friend and we, we actually sit on a board together uh, with a company called Oniva, which is such a fun story in and of itself, which maybe we'll get to in a little bit here, but I got to know you. And then I started to read the book and, you know, a lot of times you're handed a book by a a person who's a friend or a friend of a friend, hey, read this. <laughs> You've probably been in that position a lot. I got to tell you, I think I picked it up once and, and didn't put it down until it was done. It is chock full of great stories. And I'm an entrepreneur's entrepreneur also. Um, and it was just such a fun read. I And I'm looking through it now as I, as I was preparing to speak with you. And there's so many <laughs> underlined uh, statements and notes and, and questions, and it's just so fun. So uh, I, I'm just so uh, uh, glad you wrote it. What's been the biggest surprise um, uh, after you've written it? What the response that you've gotten, or um, from the professional side, from the from the friend side? What's been your what's your greatest uh, your greatest response from this book? So I'm not sure if this is the biggest surprise, but the response that's been the most gratifying is just how much entrepreneurs have taken to this book. And it ties in with one of the other things we might talk about, which is my new venture firm, Blitzscaling Ventures. But the thing about Blitzscaling Ventures is we're investing in the best companies, but we get our access through the CEOs. And when we identify the companies we think have the greatest chance to succeed, and I reach out to them, almost invariably the CEOs have read the book. Either that or they're being polite and telling me that they read the book. But I get the sense that they've read the book because they're very interested in, in getting me involved in their companies. And that's really one of the primary reasons Reed and I wrote the book. I mean, of course, we wanted everyone to read the book, but we really hoped that this would be something that would inspire entrepreneurs and get them to accelerate the impact they have on the world. That's great. I mean, you I, I did skirt over your background. You have a, a fantastic career at uh, you did your time at Harvard and Stanford. And uh, I know you're an active mentor and advisor um, and have written another book called The Alliance. But what was the, what was the seed that, uh, that was inside you and Reed to kind of decide on this book? Uh, was it the look of, of what he's accomplished and went through uh, Reed's eyes at uh, the PayPal and the LinkedIn experience and observing that or your own personal um, third party uh, perspective and what was happening in the whole Silicon Valley landscape and how there was a separation between the high flyers and everyone else. 
Well, it's obviously a combination of the two. We got a chance to write the book because Reed has had such an incredible career. And you mentioned a couple of the companies, but I think a lot of people forget sometimes that Reed's been involved in the creation of closing in on one and a half trillion dollars of market <laughs> capitalization. You've got PayPal, of course, where he was a founding board member. You've got Facebook, where he's the first outside investor. You've got LinkedIn, which he's probably most well known for. But then you'll, you've also got Airbnb, where he's the Series A lead investor, and that's a $200 million, billion dollar plus company, an $800 billion plus company, a $26 billion company, and a $100 billion plus company. That's just four companies uh, that many of you've been involved and, and with. And I use all four products and could not hate the guy more because of it. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the thing is that, you know, we looked at this and we said, well, you know, wouldn't people like to know what's behind this? Wouldn't people like to know what was the philosophy? Because oftentimes people are just like, wow, this guy must be a genius. We're like, well, no, no, no. Uh, again, you can be smart, you can be intelligent, that's great. But really what matters is what is your theory behind this? What is the, the method of thinking that produced these results? And so that's what we set out to do in Blitzscaling, really encompass and explain what it is that drove Reed's career and how it has driven so many other companies and so many of their success stories. The Look Back has been sponsored by private equity capital management platform and cap table software product, Estrella.com. Check out Estrella. It's a fantastic product that is sweeping Startup Nation. If you need cap table software, check them out at Estrella, A-S-T-R-E-L-L-A.com and SASMAX.com. For those SaaS companies looking to build the optimal channel of partners and resellers. Leverage the best platform you can at sasmax.com. Since you wrote the book, Chris, and what we'd be going back, what, five years or so now? Um, well, we began working on the book six years ago, well, five and a half years ago, but the book came out in 2018. So it's been two and a half years. So what does blitzscaling look like today? How much of the formulas that you uncovered and put into words um, are still applicable today. And now you're going to use formulas as you assess companies to put into your fund, the Blitzscaling Ventures um, Fund. Are, how are you going to identify this next wave of Blitzscaling companies or companies that uh, fit the proper criteria? Well, what's been remarkable is when we wrote the book, we were wondering, gosh, you know, will people still find this relevant by the time it comes out? Because, you know, things change so quickly. But as it turns out, the forces that made blitzscaling powerful have only increased since then. Because we were writing about a phenomenon where more and more technology companies were being built quickly. And this was an age, we talked about companies like Tesla. When we wrote about Tesla back then, Tesla was a $30 billion company. Now it is massively bigger than that. We wrote about Airbnb. Airbnb was still a startup. Now it's a $100 billion plus publicly traded company. So it is remarkable how much the world has realized the power of blitzscaling since we put the book out. And really the thing that people overlook, oftentimes they look at blitzscaling and think this is just all about growing as quickly as possible. Like, yes, technically blitzscaling is about prioritizing speed above everything else. But what they're missing is the criteria for deciding whether or not it makes sense. And there it really boils down to, are you in a winner take most market where becoming the market leader lets you print money for decades 
And do you have a differentiated go-to-market strategy that lets you get to that leadership position effectively? And if you don't have those two things, then it doesn't matter how much money you pour in, it's not going to be a good opportunity. Right. And that the calculus has changed a little bit too, because now we're talking about everything from customer acquisition, revenue growth, IRR, and all those apply, correct? Absolutely. All the standard metrics still apply, but the thing that they miss is the fact that if you have a set of network effects that makes it a winner-take-most market, then when you win the market, it delivers a non-linear kind of value because you have a dominant position where your competitors simply can't catch up. Do you want to give us an example of somebody you see on the uh, horizon that you love as a potential blitzscaling company that's still below, I don't know, pick an arbitrator, $50 million in, in, in revenue, but you see them as unstoppable kind of a growth trajectory a la a Tesla Airbnb model. So I wouldn't say there's anything that I see as unstoppable. There's always uncertainty. And even when we're going through and we're picking companies for blitzscaling ventures, we feel like, you know what, they've got tremendous potential. We think they've got a better than average chance of being enormously successful, but we're not going to guarantee success. No one can. That being said, there's a lot of companies out there that I really like. One of the companies I love uh, is a company called Storyboard.fm. It's a relatively recently uh, launched company. It, was just it just received a seed round from CRV relatively recently. And they do something that I think is absolutely fascinating, which is something I've told people should exist. It is an enterprise podcasting platform, mm. which means that it makes it possible for companies to do podcasts that are distributed inside the company's employee base. And that way you have security. You, you couldn't just do a public podcast with your CEO talking about all the things going on at the company because then anybody in the world could listen in. And so this is something that just makes a lot of sense. It's something where there's a lot of lock-in. There's a lot of land grabbing going on because once you have this deployed, do you really want to have all of your employees change apps and rebuild their subscription list and do all that kind of stuff again. There's a reason why once you subscribe to a podcast, you tend to keep listening to it. So we just think that there's a lot of potential there. Talk to the CEO. He's a young guy, really smart. So we're just very high on that company. Yeah, I can see why that makes great sense. Um, we mentioned uh, Clubhouse walking into this uh, conversation. Did you get a little piece of that to get your venture fund one started so this was one where we looked at it very closely and we did not invest now that's because we are in a position where there's an embarrassment of riches yeah. so our model is to look at all the deals that are done and we identify about 30 companies a year that we think are truly blitz scalable and then we invest in four so our position is there's plenty of fish in the sea there. We don't have to take any swings that we don't want to take. Right. And so we keep the bat on our shoulder until we're sure we can really hammer the pitch. And in the case of Clubhouse, there's things that are tremendously exciting about it, but there's things that I'm still skeptical of. The thing that's tremendously exciting, they correctly identified that there's this tremendous opportunity in social audio. Because it's audio-based, it's basically a hands-free social network, which means that there's so much more time available for it to be used while you're driving, while you're running errands, while you're working around the house. Cooking. I think that cooking. 
And I think that that's the thing that Clubhouse has done. Rather than trying to take time away from Facebook or Instagram, they're eating into time that was previously used by something else, podcasts, music, what have you, human contact, you know the deal. And so I think that that's tremendously powerful. And I think they've done a lot of clever things around how their system works. So, you know, when I go on to Clubhouse, uh, if I set up a room like my cooking room, I'm amazed by the fact that within three seconds, somebody's going to pop in and want to talk with me. And that's phenomenal, right? It's on-demand socialization. So I really love some of those different elements. The parts that give me pause are if you go onto Clubhouse and you look at the various rooms that are available to you, I don't know about you, Keith, but when I look at those rooms, it is very rare that I see a title and I'm like, oh yeah, I want to listen to that. Most of the time I'm like, nope, 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 hell no, nope, nope. And so, you know, every once in a while I jump into Clubhouse in a room that's not mine, but I got to say, it's maybe a couple times a week. Now, other people are phenomenally addicted. They're on multiple hours a day. They love it to death. Maybe there's just something wrong with me. But to me, I still haven't seen the mainstream product market fit for Clubhouse yet. Now, that being said, you know, it could still very well be an enormous success and it could end up being a gigantic winner for Andreessen Horowitz. It's just from our perspective, we're like, until we're sure we're not going to swing. How... Uh, perceptive, and I'm the I'm of the same position. It's uh, it's it's very popular today. As a media guy, I put my hat on. I'm amazed at the audience uh, that they are able to attract, and uh, how what their growth looks like is phenomenal. On the audience side, of course, they haven't monetized anything yet, but that'll be. Uh, you know, revenue follows audience. So it's, it's the natural order of things. Yeah. And again, I really, it really boils down to, Hey, how about those trillion dollar companies, clubhouse and Groupon, sorry, those trillion dollar companies, uh, Foursquare and Groupon. Yeah. Right. So, okay. Who, uh, who is a company that can get onto the uh, blitz scaling track if they're not on it from, you know, after they're they're still trying to grapple from a series a b standpoint is it is it too late at that point to say oh no not at all i mean i think that the the key thing is you know as long as you're going after what's truly a winner take most market and that means you have to build in those network effects you have to build in some sort of stickiness that means that people can't leave you or people are never going to leave you then you can always begin blitz scaling some companies do not blitz scale until later on in their existence some companies build up those network effects over time a company that's an amazing example of this is amazon where Amazon begins as an e-commerce retailer, one of the first, the pioneering e-commerce retailer. But there's really no network effects involved in just selling stuff, right? And so what's happened is Amazon has carefully layered on again and again, different things that increase the lock-in and increase the, the power of the Amazon network. And it begins with reviews, it's customers, questions and answers. And then they layer on additional business models like the marketplace business model or the Amazon Web Services business model that provide really strong network effects. And so in the end, what you have is this company that's just, just incredible winner where you have, they they able to pull off this amazing trick where they have network effects and they have lock-in in an industry where those typically don't exist. And when you have those in an industry where they typically don't exist, that makes your strategic position even stronger. Yeah. Chris, you do such a great job of writing that up in the book. I'm going to let, I'm going to force the audience here to go get it and read it. It's fantastic. I particularly like the areas in marketing and distribution as well. Those were uh, people, people don't think of those as the true uh, differentiators in the mark in a marketplace like we talk about, but it's still fundamental and 
Amazon's a great example. Okay, moving right along, I wanted to ask you, Chris, you, you have had such a great career um, and you still are doing some amazing things and I encourage people to check out Blitzscale Adventures and the book. But when you look back on your career so far, what has been sort of a favorite memory that you would look back on and, and, uh, and highlight? Ooh, a favorite memory. Let's see, what, what has been my favorite memory? It could be business memory. success, maybe. It could be personal uh, contact relationship kind of a thing. So, you know, one of the things that really has struck me is that I go around the world to all these different places and people pull out copies of one of the books. And it's just so gratifying to see that there's an idea that has spread so far that, you know, I'll be in Cairo in Egypt and someone will come up to me and say, oh, I've got my copy of Blitzscaling here. Can you sign it for me? And I just love it. And, you know, part of it is the ego, but part of it is just the feeling of, wow, you know, I've really had an impact. Yeah, contributing to others from around the world. And we've shared some stories. It's amazing. Okay, how about from a perspective of, I'm playing around with the idea of the look back. You're looking mm-hmm. over your career, you've had so many successes so far, but you've also had that one where you'd like to do it over again. Woulda, coulda, shoulda, you know, on the investment side, we always have those, but also uh, decisions I've made, I kind of wish I could take back. Um, you probably don't have as many as me, uh, but uh, <laughs> maybe- Oh, you know. rest assured, I've got a lot of mistakes that I would like to uh, share, uh, but I'll go with a couple of quick ones. And again, sometimes it's a mistake, sometimes it's just bad luck. So uh, let's go and and talk about a couple in order. In 1998, I was out here in Silicon Valley over the summer between my, 1999, between uh, the summer, my first and second years of business school. And because I had worked with a fellow who had joined this company, he's one of their first employees, their second employee, as a matter of fact, I got an invitation to go to this company's launch party. And I said, this company is wasting money on a launch party. It's going to be gone in six months. And that company was Google. So I was invited to their launch party and I chose not to go, which was probably a mistake. A couple of other mistakes. So one of the other things that happened along the way is, you know, eventually I became an angel investor and I started investing in companies. And Jason Kalkanis invited me to one of his angel events. And I'd gone to one of them and I actually made an investment there. And unfortunately, it didn't work out. But there was another event he invited me to where, sadly, because of some family reason, I said I was going to go in the last second I canceled. Now, that was the event where he brought Travis out and told everyone to invest in Uber in their seed round. That probably would have been a good one as well, I'm pretty sure. So I feel like there's a lot of regret there. And then finally, just something that's not just bad luck, but a lesson for folks. The very first company I started, which I started during business school, this is the first time I was a founder, and we created this product. It was all based on this clever strategy, my high level view of the marketplace, all this kind of HBS type stuff. And I remember I had this woman who was working as the front desk receptionist administrator and assistant for the company. And she was a young woman, probably just in her very early 20s. So not that much younger than me at that point. I would think I was 25. And we told we hired her and we told her what the product was and she started playing around with it. And she said, why would anyone actually use this? <laughs> I'm like, oh, crap, that's not good. 
And again, you can fool yourself into thinking about all these strategic patterns and here's why it's going to work. But at the end of the day, you need to see what a real person does when you stick the thing in front of them. And if they're like, I don't get why this is worth doing, that's a bad sign. That's funny. Oh, on that note, how about what do you think are the best traits and the worst traits of entrepreneurs um, as you evaluate? Because, you know, a lot of people say it's the you betting on the jockey more than the horse, yeah. especially at seed. Right. Um, what is it that you're looking for besides the idea, the blitz scalability of, of the company? So I'll go in stack ranking order. So the first is persistence. There's going to be so many things along the way, so many problems that arise. You have to be really persistent to be able to go through all of those. And that's not to say you'll never, ever quit. There's plenty of times when it makes sense to quit, but you have to be willing to persevere through a lot of the temporary setbacks and things that are unpleasant or difficult to work through. So that's one. The second is the person has to be what Reed and I have called an infinite learner. And they really have to understand that the knowledge they have right now is just a starting point, that there's always more to learn, that there's always an opportunity to get better, and that they should need to be thinking not just about learning specific things, but taking it a level up of abstraction and thinking about what are the rules of the game. Because if you think about it, you know, most of the problems in the world come about because people don't understand that the rules of the game have changed. So if you are taking that meta point of view and saying, okay, what are the rules? Are they changing? If they've changed, what is the way to win under these new rules? That's something that's really super important for those leaders. And the final thing, and this is an important one, is just, are they someone that people will want to work for? Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how brilliant you are, you've got to be able to find a way to actually run the company. You've got to get people who are willing to work for you. And the best people are not willing to work for someone who is a jerk unless they just have this immense opportunity to make money. Then people may put up for a while, <laughs> as you know. But I would prefer not to invest in those folks. Yeah, that's a great point because you got to be inspirational, motivational, got to be a recruiter. I think that's brilliant. And a lot of people probably overlook that in the uh, maybe due diligence phase, maybe it's just recruiting phase. Uh, and what about the, the thing you don't like to see in that entrepreneur when you're meeting with somebody? They're persistent, they're smart, they've got a great idea, but but there's what, what, what else? Well, there's two things that really bug me the most, and they often go together. The first is the person's really insecure. And what happens if a person's really insecure, they don't feel comfortable with who they are, they don't feel comfortable with what they're doing. Oftentimes that leads to the second thing, which is they're not honest, either with themselves or with other people. And look, you know, I understand that it would be better. And sometimes, yeah, look, we, we all look in the world and we see someone who's just confident all the time and always believes they're right. And there's something about that that's appealing. But then when they're wrong and they won't admit it, I mean, I think we've all seen the effects of that in this country and in the world when that happens. Yeah. So I'm really looking for people who are willing to have the self-esteem to say, hey, look, I got it wrong. Time to try something else. Or, you know what, I don't need a bunch of people to put my face on covers, or I don't need to go talk at a bunch of conferences, even though they're not going to actually help my business. I don't need to have a PR team getting my name in the papers, unless, of course, that helps drive the business. I just want to make something happen. That's a great, uh, that's a great point and something I think people should really uh, take heed on. Uh, and I'll share with the companies that I mentor, that I work with. But you and your role, I'm sure you'll continue. By the way, is there a, is there a blitz scaling two in the works? 
So Reed and I are working on a number of different book ideas. I can't reveal which ones are in the lead yet because none of them has been particularly finalized, but there are definitely some things we want to do in the blitzscaling area. Among them, we want to put out a blitzscaling playbook that really goes into the details of blitzscaling. The other thing we're thinking about is how blitzscaling intersects with some of the more specific topics in the world of business, whether it's functional areas like finance and sales and marketing, or whether it's different geographies and ecosystems. That is great. Chris, um, we've covered now cooking, basketball, startups, investing, uh, writing, publishing. What, are we, what have we missed? I want to make sure we cover everything in a half hour. Well, the key thing you got to do since you're new to this podcasting game is you have to give people the opportunity to plug things. And so what you do is you say, what do you want to plug? And my response is make sure you go to chrisye.com because that's the clearinghouse for everything. That's where you can find me on social media. That's where you can see what I've written in my blog. That's where you can sign up for my newsletter. So chrisye.com is a great place to go. You can also find out about the kinds of talks I give. And if you want your company to bring me as a guest, there'll be a form that tells you how to do that as well. You are the pros pro on the podcasting side. Chris Ye, thanks for joining me. What a pleasure catching up with you as always. And I wish you uh, nothing but success with your new fund and all the other ventures. Thank you so much, Keith. It's always such a pleasure to be with you. All right, buddy. Take care. You too. Thanks for listening to The Look Back. We do appreciate your support. Welcome any feedback and would love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and even consider sharing it with some of your friends. For more information and other cool info, check us out at newmanmediastudios.com.